Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 19 and 20, the Bible just lays it out very clearly that when Jesus is walking on the beach, he comes into contact, and if you didn't hear the message last Sunday, go to our podcast, it'll catch you up, that Jesus is walking by a couple fishermen. And when he sees these fishermen, he calls out to them and gives these simple words, this invitation, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately, somebody say immediately. They didn't think about it. They didn't take time to try to figure things out. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. As you're seated, I want you to understand that Jesus is in the business of inviting people to follow him. Jesus invited people to come after him. Jesus invited individuals to come and follow after him. And these businessmen that he is walking by, they're more than fishermen. These are business owners. Fishing was their life. They weren't out there just on an afternoon dropping a line. These individuals, this is what their life was. If they don't catch fish, they don't live. This is, they, they were stockbrokers. They were, they were uh, people that worked at Cisco. They were individuals that worked at PG&E. That was their business. And Jesus comes by, and if you read another version that we went over last week, that Jesus tells them, cast your nets on the other side. And after fishing and not catching a thing, they cast their nets on the other side and end up with a huge catch of fish. See, when Jesus shows up, he will bless your business, he will bless your finances, he'll bless your family, he'll bless your community, and as a result, it began to see that God's blessings showed up even when they weren't following Jesus. I need you to understand, God will bless you not because you're good, but because he's good. They hadn't even chose to follow Jesus yet. And that's what the book of Luke tells us. But the book of Matthew makes it look like Jesus was just walking by and said, follow me. And they just left everything and followed him. But they, they go after Jesus. And what Jesus was simply telling these businessmen was this. He's simply telling them this. You guys are following after the wrong thing. You guys are fishing for the wrong thing. You're dedicating yourself to a life that after you're dead, you're going to find that you have nothing to show for it. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with a nice house, nothing nothing wrong with a nice car, nothing wrong with living life on the good side. But I need you to understand that when you die, that if you have not invested into the things that are eternal, whatever you have built, your house, your car, your 401k, all those things are going to go to the wayside because you can't take it with you. But there's such a contrast between the grace that God showed to some people and also what the, the, the righteousness that God demanded from others. You see, some people God just loved. He just showed so much grace to, while others, he demanded so much. How many remember the woman that was caught in adultery? Remember that? I mean, she was caught in the very act. Yet when they wanted to stone her, what did Jesus do? He covered her. You without, who, he that is without sin casts the first stone. Man, that, Jesus rocked, man. There's all these people ready to kill her, and he protects this lady that was busted doing that very thing. I know there's some things I've done in my lifetime that I should have been stoned for. Oh, don't laugh at me. There's some of y'all in here, too. 
You would have been right next to me getting... <laughs> we would have been getting stoned, but not this way. We would have been getting stoned. You know what I'm talking about. Yet there were other individuals that Jesus came in contact with that it's like, why did you demand so much from this person, but you covered this one? You see, what I find out that when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, then this boy comes rolling up in his Armani suit. He comes rolling on 24s in that chariot Escalade. He has this, the, all these horses in front of him kicking stereo. He has his entourage with him, steps out of his chariot, looks at Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, and he goes, well, I've been doing those things since I was a kid. Some people Jesus covered. Others he exposed. I always found that it was those that thought they were righteous and were doing the right thing that Jesus demanded the most from. You see, what is it? Is Jesus grace or is he righteousness? I need you to understand that Jesus is both. You can't separate the righteous and the grace from God. He wants both to take place in our lives. And so I need you to understand something. Is that many of us have embraced the grace of God at the expense of his righteousness. Say it again, Pastor. What am I telling you? I want those that call CWC home, not just those that say this is my church. I want those that say he is my God. I, I follow after God, not just his grace, not just his, his love, not just his mercy, but I want all who God is in every aspect of my life. That's who I want to see, God, people that are following after God. You see, let, let, me, let me take you somewhere this morning, okay? Let, let, fo- follow me on this. In the early days when Christianity first started, in the early days, about 30 A.D., when Jesus died, rose resurrected from the, from the grave. Now, Jesus was 33 years old. I'm not going to get into this, but there was something wrong with the calendar about three years off. So instead of it being 33 A.D., it's with 30 A.D. that Jesus died, rose again. At that time, all of a sudden, the disciples that were hiding out, 120 of them are in an upper room. Holy Spirit falls, and these guys are blasted by God to the point where they're in the city. They're hiding out in this room, and they begin to fall into the city of Jerusalem. That is having a festival at the time. And there's thousands upon thousands of people from all over all these nations that have come together, much like this meeting right here. And people are falling out of the rooms, and they're, they're, they're speaking in tongues, and God is touching that. The people outside notice what's going on inside. I said the people outside recognize there's something going on inside. And when they see what's going on, the Bible says that they're they're wondering, these guys must be drunk. And Peter says, yeah, they're drunk. They're just not drunk like you think they're drunk. They're, they're not drunk. On, they're, they're, not, they're not hitting Jack Daniels. They're, they're, not, they're not out there on uh, Ripple. They're, they're out there, right? These guys, those of you that remember Sanford and Son, that's a little, little age right there. But the reality is they're drunk. They're just not drunk like you think they're drunk. And when Peter stands up, this one fearful man stands up and he shares the word with them. These people say, what do we do now? They're cut to the heart. What do we do? And Peter tells him, Repent. 3,000 come to know Christ in one day. Now, 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 let's fast forward. 70 years later, those, thir- those 3,000 people have grown to 25,000 people. Now, let's fast forward again about three, 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 350 B- A.D. That group has grown to about 3 million followers of Christ. Oh, come on, somebody. From 3,000 
to 30 million in less than 300 years. These guys exploded. Why? How did they explode? How did they grow so fast, so quickly? What was it? Something took place. You see, the early believers understood and took it serious of what it meant to be a follower of Christ. They didn't concern themselves with Christianity. They concerned themselves as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ. How how did they do this? In fact, if you take a look Right now, if you you were to take a look at early Roman history, in early Roman history, they killed Christians. I mean, they they persecuted Christians to the point that they they talked about literally taking babies or children. They would open up a carcass of an animal, put a child inside of it, and then sew the animal back up and then throw it out into the lions. And then watch the lions tear at the carcass of that animal until they got to the person inside. All because of their belief in Christ. They, they, they persecuted Christians. Why? Because Jesus is claimed to be king. And in the Roman, Roman society, there was only one king, and that was Caesar. And so to, uh, to, to ascribe allegiance to Jesus meant that you were uh, committing yourself to another empire other than Rome. And so they went after to kill those individuals. In fact, Nero, how many of you have ever heard the name Nero? Right? Nero, literally, this is the guy that burnt the city that they say was real crazy. That he, that he, I'm not sure how true it is, but they say that he literally burnt the city and was dancing naked with the violin. I'm asking my, one of my, you know, educators here. That's true. And he wanted to restart and rebuild Rome, but when the people didn't like the fact that they were burning down their homes, uh, he blamed it on the Christians. That the Christians were the ones that did this. In fact, Nero's the one that ended up killing Paul, the apostle, by beheading him. Now, how is it? Follow me. I'm going somewhere. You guys are like, I hate history. You just brought me into history class. Listen to me. I'm taking you somewhere. How is it they go from being persecuted and killed to right now, if you were to walk down the halls of old Rome, you would see crosses on the top of buildings you would see monuments of, to Christ throughout the whole city. Because what eventually happened is the very, the very religion they tried to stamp out became the official religion of that city, of that town, of that nation. How did they do that? How do you go from being killed to all of a sudden we accept what you have? Because there was something about the willingness of these people that called themselves Christians. They didn't just believe it with their mind. They lived it out with their hearts that while you were killing me, I'm still going to show love. That while you're persecuting me, I'm not going to curse you. I'm going to treat my wife different. I'm going to treat my family different. There was something that made these people attractive to the world around them. Something different. We've lost our salt. We've lost our light. Because the church is now known for what we don't stand for rather than what we do. See, the world is dying for something to believe in. Come on, church. The world is looking for something to believe in. I don't know about you, but I want to believe in something. It has to be more than just getting up, going to work, coming home, going to sleep, going to work, coming home, going to sleep, going to work, and just going through the cycle. There has to be more to life than that. You see, Dr. Martin Luther King put it this way, no one really knows why they're alive until they know what, they're, what they die for. 
What would you die for? The kids performed it till the day I die. What would you die for? What would you give your life for? See, Jesus showed who he would give his life for. That you were so valuable, he gave his life for you. That you were so valuable that God gave his life when you didn't even know him. When you didn't even have an idea who he was, he gave his life for you. And I want you to look, Matthew 19, Jesus says this. Then he said to them, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. Follow me. Come here, Cisco. We talked about this in the first service. That this is follow me, all right? Now, this is follow. Are you catching me? Okay. And if we call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, then we're supposed to follow Christ. The problem is this is what we're doing. Calling ourselves followers of Christ, and we're not even following Jesus. We're going our own way, doing our own thing. Creating our own desires. Making, some of y'all didn't think I was going to get this far back, huh? <laughs> Especially those of you back in Sinner's Row back there, huh? <laughs> I got you, Tukey. Sitting in the dark there. Time to come out to the light. <laughs> but too many times in our lives, we find ourselves following after our own desires, doing our own thing, and totally missing out on what it means to follow. We don't even know that in this day and age, most Christians don't have a clue what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't have a clue what it means to be a disciple of Christ. What am I talking about? Do you realize this? When Jesus walked by, when he walked by Peter on that, row, on that beach that day, when he sees Peter mending his nets and he's walking by Peter, he says, Peter, follow me. When Peter hears that, he drops his net and he follows Jesus. Notice this. Do you see any prayer? Now, now repeat after me. Jesus didn't say, okay, now, Peter, right now, say this with me. I am a sinner in need of a savior. He didn't do that to him, right? We, we don't see any, it's say the sinner's prayer. That if you want to follow me, say the sinner's prayer, and then after you repeat these words, then you're saved. The pro- How many of you said a prayer to become a Christian? Don't be afraid to raise your hand. Like, no, no, he just said, I'm not going to raise my hand now. <laughs> I believe that there's going to be many people that said that prayer that are going to end up missing on the kingdom. Because it's not a prayer that grants you access to heaven. Jesus said, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Dang. (laughs) Demons? That person, how many know that you're casting out demons? There's something, man, you got some gift there. Right? You healed the sick. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, for I never... Knew you. Knowing Christ isn't based on the prayer we pray, but on the lifestyle that we live. Let me explain it to you this way, in comparison to what Peter did. In America today, four out of five Americans claim Christianity. 
over 80%. Less than half of those 80% believing people believe that the word of God is accurate. Half of those individuals aren't even involved or attend church. And many don't even live a biblical lifestyle, and yet we're followers of Christ? Dude, I don't think people are turning away from the church because they don't believe in Jesus. They just don't believe in the lifestyle that the Christians are living. What would happen if a true group of people begin to rise up that really loved and followed after Jesus, that really they showed the love of God, that they really walked in the love of God, that they really walked in the power of God, that they really walked the way God intended disciples to walk? You see, there's a gap today, a disconnect between what we say we believe and the lifestyle that we live. We said a prayer but we don't live the life that we're supposed to. We said a prayer, but I'm here to tell you, is it possible for me to profess that I'm a Christian and yet not know Christ? Some of you are sitting there thinking, no, no, you can't do that, Pastor. You can't call yourself a Christian and not know Christ. I said, profess. Claim that I'm a Christian. How many of you know some Christians that are pretty hateful? Don't raise your hand. It might be the person sitting next to you. <laughs> you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. <laughs> Christians are some of the most judgmental people. And yet, if you were to walk to someone and say, you want to become a Christian? It's like, no, no, no. Why? Shit, I don't want to be one of them. I told you last week, there's over 43,000 different denominations, not churches, denominations that claim Christianity. Everyone has a different spin on it. But there's only one follower. You can call yourself any kind of Christian. You can call yourself Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal, but there's only one follower. There's only one kind of follower of Christ. There's only one kind of person that follows after Jesus. As for this church and this pastor, I don't care what label you place on yourself, but this church, CWC, we will be known as followers of Christ Jesus. We will be followers of God. We will go after God and we will follow after God and do what he does, say what he says, see as he sees. And love as he loves. I'm just saying, I don't know about you. Before Jesus even called the disciples in Matthew 4, 17, he says this. Then Jesus began to preach, repent. Everyone say repent. That's become a dirty word in churches. In fact, the seeker-sensitive churches, they told you not to use that word. Change it. Use something less offensive. Yet that's the first word Jesus preached. First. His first message from the beginning. Repent. And what's the word repent mean? The word repent means to change your mind and your direction. In other words, Jesus was telling the people, you thought okay before I came. But now that I'm here, you've got to change the way you think. 
You know, you used to step on people up to get to up higher on the corporate ladder. You used to cheat people in order to get that sale. But when you repent, when you come to, you used to go to the club and see how many women you could bed, how many men you could meet, and all these things trying to, trying to find a peace in your heart. See how you can medicate through drugs, through, through alcohol, trying to get rid of that feeling. But when I come to Christ, I have to repent. I have to turn my way, change my thinking that I go a different direction. And what we've turned it into in the church today is feel sorry for what you did. I ain't here trying to get you to feel guilty. Guilt don't do anything unless it leads God, godly sorrow, unless it leads to godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. It, it's, it's useless. I'm not here to make you feel guilty for what you did last night. <laughs> or this morning. Or on the way to church. <laughs> or right now. <laughs> Repentance, we have to renounce our former life. So I'm not going to do. And what we've done is this. This is repentance. God, forgive me. I have an encounter with God, and it changes my direction to go the opposite way. Somebody say Amen. I said it changes my direction to go the opposite way. It starts with my thinking, then it manifests in my feet. It starts with my thinking, and then it manifests with my feet in the direction that I go. Many of us have had the experience. Oh, I got got a tear. I went to the altar and got a tear. I got touched by God. I just had an experience with God. Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. Lord, I'm sorry for what I did again. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. We're all Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. Lord, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. But we never changed our direction. You didn't repent. You just feel sorry for what you did. And that's why we have a bunch of sorry believers. Because they haven't repented, had no encounter with God, and they have had no ability to transform their environment because their environment has changed them. Our lives have to look remarkably different. Have you ever? Now, now, I'm going to get personal here, okay? Don't look at anyone, okay? Look straight ahead right now, okay? Or close your eyes so you're not. That's why my eyes are closed right now. Ever get that person that always posts that they're at the gym? Just ran 12 miles. Just... Just lifted X amount of weight. And they're still out of shape. Eyes still closed. Not looking at any of y'all. Okay. Because if you say you do something, shouldn't there be some external evidences about what you do? Shouldn't be there, there be some, some external evidence, some proofs that, that yeah, yeah I, I, I eat right, I do this. So if you say you had an encounter, you say that you met Jesus, 
You say that you, you encountered God. You said that somewhere that you came to an altar and you found yourself face to face with the Heavenly Father, His grace, His mercy, His power, that you came face to face with God. There has to be. There must be. There has to be. There's got to be a change. There has to be. There must be some evidence of what just took place. And yet we live the same lifestyle. We do the same things. I question whether you ever met God. It's the same. What does true repentance look like today? I ain't mad. I'm having fun this morning. When you truly repent, your mind will change. That's what it means. And as a result of my mind changing, my will changes to match his. And then then not only my will, but now all of a sudden my values. I'm not going to lie to you to sell you something. Has this car ever been in an accident? No. No, this car is great. You're just trying to get rid of your problem. But if if you've had an encounter with God... It's going to affect even your sales. How you sell. Hey, girl, you come here often? Oh, you're a Christian? So am I. Let's love God together. You know, the Bible says lay on of hands. Do you believe in speaking in tongues? Uh, you know, some guys back there writing that one down. I love. <laughs> See, that's why you send your kids to children's church. Jake. <laughs> See, it changes your values. It also changes your relationships as well. That when I have an encounter with God, it changes my relationships. When I have an encounter with God, it changes why I live. Vivi, if you could help me as we close. See, Peter had that encounter. You know, one of these days, every time I step on those, I'm always afraid they're going to collapse. But a man by the name of Saul who was persecuting the church, found himself, just like Peter, responding to the call of God. Yet he was the one that was persecuting the church. He was killing those that called themselves after the way. They weren't Christians. They were following after the way because there's only one way. There's not multiple ways. There's one way, and that's what they were known as, those that followed the way. And this man has gone through a journey from where he goes from killing Christians to becoming one. And not only becoming one, but now he's beginning to lead others and he's starting churches all over Asia. And he's planting these churches. He's he's going out and it's spreading the word of God. It's totally affected him. So much so that his name has changed from Saul to Paul. Oh man, I tell you what, if you're still known by the same names you were known at when you were in the world, there's a problem. There should be a different, oh yeah, he was a womanizer. Oh, they're always angry. That person was bitter. They were a drug addict. When you come to know Christ, there should be a change in the names that you're known by. He was transformed. 
to where he wrote 13 books of the Old New Testament. 13 books. And here he is in Rome with a Roman soldier watching over him. And as he's writing, he's looking at this soldier that's standing there. And he begins to pen these words. After doing all you can to stand. Stand. Gird yourself with the, gird yourself in truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Pick up the shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. He begins to pen these words as he's looking at a Roman soldier and he's bringing a correlation between being a soldier of the world and arming yourself in Christ. He was able to transfer these things. What am I here to tell you? I'm saying take, take your commitment to God to a new level. Why? Because this man, this man that was once known as Saul, gives his life, transformed as Paul, beheaded, head taken off because he made a commitment to Jesus. To the day he died. What about Stephen? Don't realize the things that this young man went through. Stephen called by God and he's helping those out that are being neglected in the book of Acts chapter 6. He never seen Jesus walk the face of the earth, but he, he began to follow after the way. And as a result, because of his love for God and because of his stance for God and his ability to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, there were those that got mad at him. And they rose up some people to speak lies against this man. And they spoke lies against him, rose up a a group of people to stone him. And yet in the middle of being stoned, the Bible talks about this, that he stood to his feet while, while they're stoning him, that he looked up. And the Bible says that he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You didn't catch that. He saw Jesus standing. Throughout the word of God, every time you read the word, you will find Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's always sitting. Why? Because his job was done. Redemption was finished. But when this man took a stand in the midst of opposition, Jesus rose up and he got God's attention to where Jesus stands up and looks at his son. Jesus gave Stephen a standing ovation because of his commitment, his love, his desire and commitment to God. I wonder if we were to take our lives today and we were to put it right next to Stephen in Acts chapter 6 or we were to take our story and place it right next to Paul's in Acts chapter 8 or 9, where would our testimony match these men? I don't want to give this up. I don't want to give her up. I don't want to give it up. It's not about what you give up to follow Christ. It's about what you get. It's about who you get. I want to encourage you this morning. Do you want to be a follower of Christ? 
I don't know about you, but I want. These individuals had an encounter with God that transformed them. Let me share the story, and with this, I'll close this morning. Back in 1987, I was a, I was a junior in junior or senior in Bible college. In my last two years of Bible college, I volunteered as a chaplain at the Arizona State Prison. And every Sunday night, I would go out to the prisons. And as a one night, the, the, the chaplain would let me speak and help develop my gift of being able to, to share. And there's one time I was preaching, and there was this guy I had never seen before sitting around where Pastor Nick is in this uh, rectangle hall and had tile floor. And I remember it vividly. And this guy had these earrings with feathers, and he had these, these chains. It was almost like a, it was before Mr. T even came out. It was, he kind of had that look to him. But, but he, he was a white dude, and he had really long hair. He had a beard. He just looked really evil. It looked just, just something about him made me feel uncomfortable. But I begin to preach, and as I'm preaching, I'm sharing. I'm speaking about how the, the sacrifice Christ gave for us on the cross, the beatings that he went through, the things that he did. And as I'm preaching, this guy's just staring at me and just giving me a certain look. And what, when chapel was over, I drove home that night, and I just really felt a little uneasy. I thought, man, that was just strange. When I came the following week, this guy came walking up to me, but he was different. It was totally different. I, I, I was like, well, well, he comes up to me and says, man, last week while you were speaking, I wanted to hit you. Hey, my church knows that feeling. Why do you laugh so hard there, son? I'm supposed to have my back, bro. What's up with that? Security. The earrings were gone, the necklaces that had all these different, different uh, symbolisms. And he came up and he has this bag. And the chaplain of the, of the prison was standing there. He goes, man, you don't know who this is. I said, no. And it's always a compliment when you're preaching and someone says, I want to hit you. Appreciate that, man, especially in prison. I'm like, can we get out of here now? Can I just, can I leave? And he's holding this bag, and he come to find out that this guy's nickname was Cat, and he was a tarot card warlock. And he had written books on tarot card reading, fortune telling. And he says, you know, I sat there last week, and I heard you speaking about Jesus' love, and I wanted to get up and hit you. I wanted to yell and tell you to shut up, but I, 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 was, I couldn't stop listening to what you were saying. And I went back to my cell, and I sat there, and I felt like there were these rats gnawing away at my stomach. It just, just eating away at me. I felt so uncomfortable. I couldn't find any rest. So I, I went to my cards. I went to my books. I went to my, my, my satanic Bible. I couldn't find anything that could, that could bring peace to me. And I finally fell to my knees. I said, God, if you're real. God, if you're real, if there's any chance that you are real, God, I'm asking you now. I've I've gone deep on the other side. I've been playing for the other team. But if you're real, I need to know that right now because I need something right now. And if you would show yourself to me. And he told me about how he gave his life to God. And how did I know that he gave his life to God? Because there was a radical difference between the man that sat there the week before to the man that was standing in front of me that morning. He has this bag of all this stuff, and the chaplain says he wants to burn all this stuff. I said, what? 
I never heard about that. So he goes, yeah, in the book of Acts, they burn all this stuff. And he, he asks, he, he even wants to burn his own book. And so we go out to the courtyard. Now I'm really scared. <laughs> Sorry, bro, I ain't never been there, you know. I'm really scared, man. Ray, why do you turn around? You've been there too, bro. <laughs> Ray, Pastor Ray acting like he... You too, Sean. Heck, my whole church, you too. <laughs> that means we're doing something right, amen? Come on. Come on. I'm going to start calling out some more people, better not. There has to be a change went out there and we burned the stuff that he had put together, these idols. But as Americans, we have idols too. American idol. <laughs> Called pornography, hedonism, materialism, success, excess, our tempers, hobbies, our status, our going out for sex, money, what for fame, all these things that we're putting before God. Anything that becomes before God becomes an idol. Now, I'm not telling you stop being successful. I'm telling you follow Christ and learn what true success is all about. Jesus told him, repent. Everyone say repent. Then follow. Repent. Follow. Repent. And follow. Simple. And if you keep your eye on Jesus, you won't get lost. It's when we take our eyes off Christ and we put our eyes on other things that we pick up our heads and like, where, where'd he go? Keep your eyes on Christ. I'll close with Matthew 16, 24. Stand to your feet. Figure if I have you stand, I have to shut up. Matthew 16, verse 24. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples. These are people that follow him. If any of you wants to be my follower, you want to follow me, you must turn from your selfish ways. Everyone say turn. Take up your cross, say take. And follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Now follow me on this. Is anything worth more than your soul? I'm not telling you not to be successful. In fact, go after it. The more successful you are, it shows the greater God is. Oh, listen to me. Listen to me, because we're speaking right now on Wednesday nights about the sheep and how the condition of the sheep shows how good a shepherd is. If you have jacked up sheep, it means you got a jacked up shepherd. But when you're taken care of, that means we have a good shepherd. Amen? And so I'm not talking, I'm not speaking the health, wealth game here, but I am saying this that when we follow after God and we get our priorities straight, Our blessings can be proofed as to how good God is. 
your soul. I want you to be blessed on earth, but I'm more concerned with your soul. There's nothing more valuable than every one of your souls in this place right now. Some of you, you get paid based on the deals that you close. Well, you know what? What I'm concerned about is your soul right now. I'm concerned about your soul because when we stand before God, I have to give an account for every ear that has ever walked through these doors at Christian Worship Center. And I didn't come here just to entertain you, though I can be entertaining. Ask my wife. I came here to make sure that your soul is right before God. And it's been said, if you can make someone laugh, you can tell them anything. That's why I try to make you laugh, because I know how serious this is. Your soul is worth something. So valuable that Jesus gave his life for it. Repent. Follow. Right where you are, let's just repent before God. Right where you are, would you just take a look at whatever mindsets, whatever thinking that you've had wrong. And just acknowledge it to God right now. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer right now. We're going to make a declaration at the end. But I just want you right now just to, to, to ask God, search my heart, O Lord. The psalmist said, search me, O God. Try me and know my mind. See if there be any wicked way in me, then draw me to the way of the everlasting. Right now, you ask. Don't let me be the one that convicts you. It's not about conviction or guilt. It's about you and God right now. Search yourself. God, search me. Search me. Come on, church. Search me. Come on, right where you are. Father, search our hearts. Lord, I repent before you right now. Lord, I turn from my wicked way. I turn, Father, from my way of thinking that doesn't match yours. I don't want to be known just simply as a Christian. I want to be known as a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash CWC Bay Area.